Welcome to Bank Talk with the Institute of International Bankers, where we talk with and about the foreign banking community in the United States. Thank you so much for joining us, and please be sure to subscribe so you never miss a beat with the IIB. Uh, well, Doug, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today on this uh, special edition of Keep Your Social Distance with the IIB. Um, I think we've, we've had a lot of questions from, from members and the general public really about, you know, what's in this huge uh, recovery package that Congress just passed? What does implementation look like? Where do we go from here? What's next? So, Doug, thank you so much for, for being on for a few minutes today. Um, my pleasure. Um, I love little questions, so that was fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so I think probably the easiest place for me to start is to actually back up and, and simply remind anybody listening to this that uh, we entered into the pandemic with an economy that was in pretty good shape. And um, that's that's a, a big help because if we were dealing with a lot of pre-existing uh, economic damage, it'd be even harder. Um, what happened was with the uh, arrival of the coronavirus, uh, huge swaths of the economy experienced just an immediate loss of their customers. The poster child, of course, is the airlines, but hotels, restaurants, concerts, you name it. Suddenly they had zero cash flow coming in and it's generated just a cascading series of cash flow crunches across the landscape where my business would dry up. So I'd stop paying you and your business now was in trouble. And, and this was just going on everywhere. And uh, one of the first manifestations of this was you saw everyone trying to lay their hands on cash. And so there was an enormous sell-off of all sorts of assets trying to get their hands on uh, cash and, and things that are close to cash. Uh, that roiled financial markets, to say the least. And there, the, the Fed stepped in and did uh, an extraordinarily good job of simply responding to the need for cash, uh, setting up uh, facilities which were by now familiar from 2007, 2008, uh, flooding the the very with with uh, cash and liquidity, and I think um, did a great job of taking what was a problem in the real economy and keeping it as a problem in the real economy and not letting it turn into uh, a, a big financial markets problem as well. So that I, you know that's still a risk because as long as the real economy is not generating any income, the financial services sector can't be independent of that. But but they, I think they've done a good job so far. Right. So if you now turn to what CARES has done. CARES is focused largely on the real economy. So there's a, a chunk uh, aimed at households, either to help those who have uh, already lost their, their employment. So a uh, big expansion in unemployment insurance, both longer, up to 39 weeks, more generous, um, uh, an extra $600 to the end of July 31st uh, for, from the federal government. And so uh, a lot of UI benefits for what will be a lot of people on UI. We've already seen these incredibly dramatic numbers. Uh, new claims for unemployment insurance, 3 million last week, now 6.6 million this week, 10 times the worst uh, week uh, of the Great Recession and financial crisis. So that's an important part of the response. There will also be the checks to households to support their capacity to spend. So we've seen that. But for me, I think the more important parts are the small and large business lending programs, uh, which are designed to get the cash that is missing into those businesses as quickly as possible and in the process solve two problems. Number one, 
preserve the business. So we have the, the infrastructure of our economy when we get to the other side of the pandemic. And number two, have some income for the households. You know, employers know how to pay their people. They know where they live. They know their direct deposits. This is the most reliable way to get a steady stream of payments to households. So those are, those I think are the key and, Mm -hmm. and they're conceptually perfect, but they haven't delivered a dollar yet. And the question is, will they? Right. So I guess let me let me stop you there because I made a great <coughs> mistake of uh, not actually introducing you to to your fullest extent. So with that beautiful preview, um, I think it's, it should be very obvious to our audience that you are an economist, uh, a former professor, uh, former director of the Congressional Budget Office, and the current president of uh, think tank the American Action Forum. And I guess by way of full disclosure. Perhaps your biggest accomplishment to date is being my former employer. Um, so, yes, the great accomplishment was um, not hiring you, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, again, thank you. So, I kind of want to dive into a little bit of what you said, and you talked about how you know this isn't 2008. This is very different because businesses were in good shape when this crisis hit. Um, we are the Institute of International Bankers. So can you focus a little bit on the, the banking component of that? You know, obviously the banks were the ones that needed the help in 2008 and, and in the aftermath. And then I think, you know, you've said on some of your many interviews you've been doing the past few days that not only are banks not the problem here, but banks are going to be a big part of the solution um, to this. What does that look like? How, can you just kind of explain that a little bit more? Sure. I mean, banks were not the problem. It's, it is very different than 2008, where the problems emanated from the the financial sector, banks in particular. If you think back, there were an enormous number of poorly originated mortgages, which went south. And as a result, uh, the derivative securities that were built on those mortgages went south. And that was the, 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 the initial impulse for the crisis. As it spread, everyone got dragged into it. Here, the banks were are well capitalized. Uh, they had lots of liquidity. Uh, they were um, passing stress tests uh, on a regular basis, and and you know both domestically and internationally, uh, some very uh, sound banks. And um, they did were great demands for for liquidity, and and the Fed responded to that. And I think uh, that was a, a good move. But you know. As this goes forward, it's important that the intervention known as the CARES Act be successful because, you know, and I'll come back to how the banks work in that, but because if it's not, and if we continue to have businesses just fail to get any uh, business and and they're ultimately going to not make good on their uh, financial obligations to to the various lenders, and then, then the problem will transform into to a banking and, and financial services problem as well. We, we don't want to get to that. You want to cut this off as much as you can uh, in the early stages. The CARES Act relies on banks to do that. And the notion is to set up these uh, lending programs, um, the most novel of them being the, the paycheck protection uh, piece, which is for businesses with under 500 employees. And in this setup, um, small businesses would go to a bank and ask for a paycheck protection loan. This can be uh, equal to their previous payrolls and maximum of $10 million. And the obligation is for them to uh, either maintain their current uh, uh, employment and, and payroll or go back to their pre-pandemic and 
bring back any people they may have laid off recently and then maintain that. If they do it, then the, the loan gets forgiven and we will have turned that into a cash grant injection into the small business community. And the goal, as I said earlier, would be to keep the businesses there for the post-pandemic um, restart and to keep their um, with the standard of living that they had beforehand. So that's a, a great thing if it works. It's going to be a tremendous challenge. Think of the, the Small Business Administration. Last year, it originated $28 billion in, in its, its uh, seven-day loan program, gar- provided guarantees. This is $350 billion. It's an enormous scaling <laughs> up. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. Dude. And so, and, and the banks are, are the middlemen here. And I, I think, you know, if you think about the mechanics of this, uh, you know, I come to you and I say, Megan, I, I'd like $10 million. And you say, absolutely, Doug, not a problem. Here you go. And I intend to default on that. I never intend to, to pay it back. So in normal circumstances, we'd never ask a bank to do that. But we are asking the bank to do that. Um, and, and we're counting on the fact that it ultimately be forgiven. Um, how will it be um, sort of demonstrated that I, that I met my obligations? I kept my employees on the payroll? Well, banks are not HR departments. So there's going to have to be some way to, to do some of these things. And how are we going to take $350 billion and get it to the banks uh, because they can't just have a lot of bad loans in their balance sheet and not get some sort of uh, relief quickly from the SBA. So, you know, as it's, as it's being discussed now, you can actually, at the time of origination, expected forgiveness, give me a chunk of money now, and then there has to be some truing up later. But, you know, it's not a 100% clear, I think, for anyone how this will work. We are literally putting the tires on this race car during the race and, and trying to figure out how to get it done is, is hard. And so banks, banks yeah. are crucial there, but they're also quite frankly being asked to do a lot and, and we got to see how it's going to work. Right. Right. So I'm going to get you to, to, if you can try to answer a question that you just said, no one knows the answer to, <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> which is a fun game I like uh, to play. Um, so, you wrote in your, one of your Daily Dish newsletters this week, and I would encourage everyone listening to subscribe to Doug's Daily Dish if you're not already, because it is a wealth of, of knowledge, especially in all of this. Um, you said, basically, there's two things to think about. One, by the time the next bill is law, there's going to be large swaths of the economy that are going to lie in ruins. Um, this is a classic example of academics who would rather be right than useful. That strong language. And second... <laughs> The CARES Act largely takes care of the underlying employment challenge. The challenge is to make it work. So how do we make that work? And, you know, considering yourself both an academic uh, and someone who is often useful and right, I think you're primed to to take a stab at that one. So I I think you um, need to, you know, you you have to be willing to acknowledge that we're we're going Money. We will not will not do it all exactly right. The pace at which it's happening guarantees that. And I'm the one who normally complains about things like that. But I think speed is of, of the essence in, in the moment. So we just accept that. And you, you do some things you might not normally do, like draw a big safe harbor around the banks and say, you are going to be held harmless for any misreporting by the bank, by the uh, businesses. So if they lie to you about their employment, you're not going to be held uh, responsible for any of the, the lost money because it's not your job to go inside and be their HR person. 
right? That, that, that's something that I don't see how to do in real time. How do you get a, a surveillance and monitoring system set up by the government or the bank or anybody in real time? We are asking people like me, right? I run a small business. I could go in and get one of these uh, to um, do our part to keep our employees paid and help the economy survive and, and not lie about it. And, and that's, it's one of those moments. I think we, we need to, to sort of run it that way. If we, if we try to do all the verifications and don't provide some legal exemptions, it's going to grind to a halt. And, and that's a problem. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think that that potential liability really is the biggest threat to, to all of this recovery? I mean, if that's- I, I think the legal liability is one of two things. Um, you know, first, uh, we do have memories from 2007, 2008, when there were big interventions like TARP, Recovery Acts, um, you know, the Fed. Uh, and in the aftermath of that, there was a lot of finger pointing, you know, politically picking winners and losers, some, some lawsuits. People remember that. And they're going to want to have some comfort that at the end of this episode, if there's some dollar that was misspent in some way, they're not going to have a, a, an enormous legal headache as a result. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing. And my solution to that would be to just draw a big safe harbor around the banks who participate in this program and say, if, if you do this and, and, and can help the government out in this way, you will be held harmless from a, any sort of misrepresentation by the businesses who participated in this. So if I lie to you about keeping my employees on the books, that, that is not your liability. That's the government's. And in the end, it will be the taxpayers who pick up the tab for that. And I think that's the only realistic way to proceed. If you try to set up a verification system, I think it gets too complicated. If you try to write carefully what banks will and will not verify, we're writing rules for another 30 days, 60 days, and and it's and we've lost those those firms. And so I, you know, given the need for speed, there has to be a, a, a simple way to to take that off the table. And I think the safe harbor is the best. There's also an economic issue, just you're, you're being asked to give me, say, $10 million, and then I have no intention of paying it back. So you've tied up $10 million in me, and at the end of the day, you're never going to get anything back from me. How do we replenish the banks who have all these loans on their balance sheets? How quickly do they get the $350 billion out into the banking sector for people who are participating? Uh, and and that, I think, is a really important sort of piece of the mechanics, Um and making sure that, that the SBA can do that effectively is a key part to, to making this work. And, and how do they do that? I mean, how, how, what is the replenishment mechanism that we're going to see? It, it, it is one of two things, which is uh, at the end of the day, um, there's a, a, an ask, a you know, request for forgiveness. And then I think there's up to 90 days to get the, the money back to the bank from the SBA. Or at the time of loan, uh, a bank could take that single loan or a bundle of loans they've done and go to the treasury and say, here's, here's my expected forgiveness. Um, give me a check now. And then there'll be a truing up at the far end, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's complicated right now. Yeah. That's a good word for it. So I want to kind of circle back to, to some of your experience after the, the financial crisis, you were um, on the financial crisis inquiry commission and you wrote one of the final reports, dissenting views. Um, and I think there's been a lot of discussion uh, kind of in the aftermath of the CARES passage of, you know, various oversight boards and, and commissions. Uh, what do you think that landscape looks like? Are we going to have, you know, all of these oversight commissions and, uh, you know, whatever whatever the case may be? What does that look like and how does that impact, if at all, the, the recovery that we're going to see? 
So I think this is very different than 2008. Um, it's much bigger. I mean, we've already seen that. The, the, the downward descent is, is just at an enormous pace and shocking. But it's a lot simpler. 2008, what I remember most is during the, the crisis, the, the, the classic fog of war, like what the heck is happening? Why are they in trouble now? Where did that come from? And trying to trace it through the, the financial structures was, was very difficult. And even afterward, um, I would say that the, the commission was riddled with disagreements about the, the fundamental problem. We don't have any, pro- any difficulty right now. We know the problem. The problem is the virus. And the virus has shut down large parts of the economy, either because people are avoiding it or because they've been told to avoid it. And that's it. And so I I don't see uh, a financial crisis style inquiry commission where we try to figure out, you know, was it the virus or not? It it is. And and, and that's that's simpler. Um, What will be the oversight of the money? Um, You know, there's talk of, you know, there is an oversight a function in the CARES bill. There's talk of having a now a bipartisan House committee to keep track of the entire effort. Um, you know that that that's going to be one part protection of taxpayer dollars and one part uh, politics. I'm I'm fairly sure. Uh, as long as that's done later and whatever jousting is going to happen doesn't get in the way of getting the money out, fine. I accept that as part of uh, the way we run things in this country. But I but I really don't want more than than one voice talking about whether the money goes out or not. Give the responsibility to either Treasury in, in the big firms or SBA and, and they go. And do you think that any upcoming elections will have an impact on, on kind of the politics of it? I, I mean, that's down the road and hopefully we'll at least get the money out the door by then. But, you know, I have to imagine that any sort of oversight of, of the management after the fact is still going to be going on. How does that, what does that look like to you? Um, well, I... Things are, are never particularly helpful, right? Because we're likely to be in the situation where people are, are picking up the pieces. So already, you know, we've, we've asked um, for a lot of forbearance on the part of, uh, of banks and, and, and landlords and, and everybody, you know, credit card companies, you name it, um, to understand the duress people in it and, and so to, to take some, some near-term losses. So you, you roll the clock forward to the third and fourth quarter of this year, and people are trying to sort of pick up the pieces from that. If at the same time there's a, a, a highly politicized inquiry into everything that everyone did and trying to figure out which part was taxpayer money and which wasn't, that's going to slow things down. You know that. I mean, people will just sort of put the brakes on and not do anything more lest they get run the risk of getting into more trouble. And so, I, you know, I don't – I'm not a big fan of – uh, those kinds of uh, operations being sort of, sort of too closely tied to the, the ongoing activity. I'd like to have, have some distance. I mean, the Financial Crisis Commission did have the virtue that they went ahead and did Dodd-Frank without listening to what we had to say. And so we really were not under any pressure to be operational. And, and that's good. Right. Right. All right. I want to go back to, to looking into Doug's crystal ball uh, of the future, which I think is, um, you know, given us some wisdom in the past. We keep hearing people say that this is going to get so much worse before it gets better, not just in terms of the healthcare uh, crisis, but I think also um, the economy. How much worse does it get before it gets better? Uh, and when do you think we return to normal or the new normal or whatever that looks like? Um, and are we going to see more recovery packages come out of Congress? I think there's even talk of 
it being infrastructure week again. Uh, Give us, give us the, the glimpse into the future, Doug. Uh, well, let me first start with the virus. I mean, you know, how long this goes on is 100% tied to how effective we are with the public health mission. And that has to be the top priority because in the absence of that, we can't um, restore people's confidence. We can't have them going out to restaurants and bars and then they won't want to fly and, and it won't it won't recover. So um, getting that um, done to the best ability possible, I think is, is priority number one. Uh, second priority, again, uh, and now I'm going to sound like I'm uh, uh, a one note Johnny, which is, you know, we have to do a good job with uh, the $2.2 trillion, not because it's our moral responsibility for, toward the taxpayers. I do believe that, but because time is of the essence and the more we can save businesses and employees from having their economic lives completely disrupted, uh, the less difficult it would be to recover. A lot of economic damage. And we have to get employees and reattach them to new employers. That takes time. It's it's a slow process and, and we recover much more slowly as a result. Um, and so, you know, how bad it is at the other end depends a lot on what happens in the next couple of weeks. It's really crucial in my view. Um, because there was nothing wrong with most of these businesses. So if you can just somehow put them on, on financial life support and get them to the other side, you just, then, then the restart's not nearly as difficult. They literally can restart. They knew, what, they knew how to run the business and they had, they had all they were lacking all, all of a sudden was customers. So I think that that's a key notion. But I do think people should be realistic about the nature of the recovery. Um, I, I don't expect some sort of V-shaped rocket recovery. Uh, this feels to me a lot like the post-September 11th, 2001 U.S. economy. You know, in that instance, the U.S. population was threatened. It, it was terrorist then. Now it's a virus. And so there's a, a, a need to deal with that threat directly. That's the top priority. As I said, it's the public health mission right now. Uh, but the second thing was to somehow have the economy operate while making it, you know, immune to that threat, doing what you, you could to harden it against then the threat of terrorism. And we started inspecting every cargo container and we put bollards around every headquarters and did all sorts of things for security. Well, we're probably going to have to rethink workplaces for how they're arranged for distance. And we're going to have to accept there might be some, some reoccurrences of the virus in the fall. And there might be some regional lockdowns and there's going to be some headwinds. And I think it's going to be bumpy. Um, so, you know, that, that makes me think that there may be a place for additional help from the federal government down the, down the road, but, but to do it now, I think, is a big mistake because we have no idea what we need. We, don't, we have no idea when we need it. And so in a crisis, politicians love to At this point, patience is the, the right counsel on any phase four. Well, phase three is everything right now. Do it. Do it really well. And then we'll figure out what we need. Doug, I think that's uh, uh, the perfect ending point to, to kind of cap off the conversation. Is there anything else you want to want to add? Any last bits of wisdom and insight to give to our folks? Um, well, I, I don't think I have um, either much wisdom or insight, but I do have a lot of admiration <laughs> for the people who are uh, continuing to run their businesses in these admin, adverse circumstances. So um, thanks to you uh, and thanks to your uh, member banks. And, you know, uh, they ha are doing a, Yeoman's work right now, and I hope people recognize this is different than than 2008, and they get a thank you instead of uh, a whole lot of grief. I agree. Well, Doug, thank you so much. Take care. Stay well. 
And uh, I'm sure that we will talk to you again soon. Happy to do it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Doug. Take care. Thank you again for joining us for Bank Talk with the Institute of International Bankers. We hope you enjoyed, and we hope to see you again soon for the next episode.